Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I suppose I should give you an update from last week, because last week I got to brag for about two minutes about my wife, and lo and behold, she did not appreciate it. <laughs> Seems odd, right? But I did get to sleep in my own bed, so, but we're, we're good, we're good, okay? And anyways, I took her mother off the hook from a story long, long ago, so I'm going to get a really nice Christmas gift from her this year. And saying that, if you'll turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and then say goodbye to it, because we're going to leave there today. And then I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are going to start a new series this morning about how... We understand that this earth is not our home. This is not our home. But God gives us many ways, many opportunities to to allow ourselves to find that path and navigate our way to our final place, which is with God in heaven. So we're going to talk a little bit about that for the next few weeks. But let me start with this. General Motors has a feature since 1996, and most of you probably know what I'm talking about already, but anyways, this feature makes their cars very unique, and it's called the OnStar system. Some of you have heard of it, most most of you have probably heard it, and probably are still using it today. And it can help you unlock your car when you lock yourself out. It can assist you finding a restaurant or directions to your hotel when traveling. Or for the men, we can just tell it to be quiet. We know what we're doing. Even though it's strongly urging you to maybe listen. But it does give us that assistance. It can assist you by calling emergency services when there's an accident. It can even check your email or stock quotes so you can keep your hands free while driving. And according to HowStuffWorks.com, more than 4 million people are a part of the OnStar network. And there are many components that go together to make this OnStar system work. There are buttons found on the rearview mirror. There are uh, buttons that allow you to to contact a live advisor. And by the way, I'm not getting sponsored by OnStar, so... I'm not expecting to see a, a car in my driveway this afternoon, but I just want to explain this to you because it does have some meaning as where I'm going this morning. But anyways, the blue OnStar button allows you to contact that live advisor. The red OnStar button allows you to contact someone in case of an emergency. And there's also a GPS antenna so the satellites in the sky know exactly where you are. Uh, There is a cell phone antenna so an operator can contact you when you are needed. And there are many, many other features that are on this OnStar system. And it's a way for people to get help easily if there poses an emergency. Understand this, though. Our faith is in a hostile world. Our faith lives in a hostile world. The faith in a sovereign God who runs each and every element in the universe is having a hard time these days. 
It's hard to keep us all in check, right? For many Americans, it is becoming more and more difficult to believe in altogether good and indefinitely a more powerful God. For many people, the pain and misery of living camouflage is any hope that we have in finding God in the Bible. One skeptic has recently written, Why has God made it so difficult to believe in him? If I loved somebody and had infinite power, I would use that power to show myself more obviously. So, why has God made it so difficult to see his presence? Why has he made it so difficult to see his plan? And this is a fair and haunting question, but theologians refer to this as the hiddenness of God. The skeptic uses stronger terms, referring to God as the God who has abandoned and left us with no visible sign of his existence. Harsh words, right? Many of us wish that God were more like that OnStar system, right? Wherever life takes us, we like to know that God is near to assist us in those emergencies. We like for him to make his presence more visible to us as we grapple with those difficulties in life. We want God to be present at the press of a button. We want God standing right there so when things get a little tough, we can turn to him and say, okay, God, I'm pressing the button here. It's your turn. Take over. Like I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to examine these words of Peter. And these words are in the first letter of two letters we have recorded for us, and they're known as First Peter in our Bibles. Peter wrote to Christian believers scattered throughout modern-day Turkey today. He writes to encourage them because they are experiencing the world's hatred, much like we are today. And these new believers in the faith were feeling the pressure and hostility for their faith that they had in Jesus Christ. It's something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, some of us more so than others. But they're experiencing what we're experiencing now. There is a complete and utter hostility for anyone who believes in this God who loves them yet allows difficulties to come upon them in their life. But we know as Christians that that is all part of God's plan. That is God's opportunity for us to share our faith, to go through those difficulties and allow God to shine through us. So Peter here is trying to encourage us to remind us of Romans chapter 8, that there are going to be difficulties in life, but praise be to God who is going to be standing near us when we go through those. The pressure and hostility caused by many people struggle with God. They struggle with God. Many Christians had not only their property and livelihoods taken from them, but a lot of them also lost their lives. Frankly, they had many more questions than they had answers. 
Christians today want to know where God is and when we struggle. When the ninth month of pregnancy brings news of a stillborn infant rather than the joyful arrival of a brand new baby. When the new business brings bankruptcy rather than financial rewards. When the doctor tells you the worst news, it's cancer. We want to know that God's there. But people are not seeing his presence. Why? It's because they're not looking. They're not looking. Peter writes his letter to tell us of God's providence where God has everything, and I mean everything, worked out for his purpose. Everything is worked out for his purpose. Everything is worked out according to God's eternal plan. Story for you. The USS Astoria, during World War II, engaged the Japanese during the battle for Savo Island before any other ships from the U.S. Naval Fleet had arrived. During the crucial night of the battle on August 8th, the Astoria scored several different direct hits on a Japanese vessel, but was itself badly damaged and sank the next day. About 0200 hours, a young Midwesterner, signalman, third-class Elgin Staples, was swept overboard by the blast when the Astoria's number one eight-inch gun turret exploded. Wounded in both legs by shrapnel and semi-shock, he was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he managed to activate with the simple trigger mechanism. And at around 0600 hours, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer and returned to Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the cruiser by beaching her. Now, the effort failed, and Staples, still wearing the same life belt, found himself back in the water at lunchtime. Picked up again, this time by the USS President Jackson, he was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated to Nomea. On the road of life, there are intense difficulties that cause us to forget our destination. There are difficulties in life which make it very easy for us to forget God's plan for us. The providence of God is our refuge and fortress. It is our shield. It provides us courage and staying power. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and to, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his, bud, his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The first thing we need to look at this morning is we must recognize who is speaking to us. Recognize who is speaking to you. So let's first look at the big picture before we go into this section. We are basically approaching the first two verses of 1 Peter. And here we're going to answer three questions. We want to find out who Peter is, the writer... We also want to examine who the readers are of this letter and why this letter was written. 
That's the big picture this morning. Now, a few moments ago, I told you about a letter from a skeptic. Allow me to repeat that question to refresh your memory. Why has God made it so difficult to believe in him? If I loved somebody and had infinite power, I would use that power to show myself more obviously. So why has God made it so difficult to see his presence and his plan? And as much as the question seems powerful, however, I contend that the answers we give must remind the questioner that maybe, just maybe, the question itself hasn't been carefully thought through. For example, how often would we want God to reveal himself? How often would you want God to reveal himself to you? Once a day? Every time there's an emergency? If God were to speak through us through the OnStar system, how often would you need to press that button? Would you like to hear a voice every now and then saying, trust me? Trust me. The interesting thing about this demand is that some have seen God's presence. Some have heard his voice. Yet it did not make it any easier for them to believe. So people always pose that question. If I knew God was standing right beside me, or if I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was going to follow through with his plan, would that make it any easier for you to be a Christian? Would it make it any easier for you to go through your difficulties? Some of you might say, well, of course. But if God were standing here physically with me, it would not make it any easier for me to deal with what I deal with. And why is that? Because God has allowed that to happen for his purpose. God has allowed those things to happen for a reason. It's for my own development and my faith in Jesus Christ. The difficult things that you go through are crucial to your development and your relationship to Jesus Christ. Peter had the most dramatic disclosure ever given to the human eye atop the mountain when he saw the transfiguration of Jesus. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we are here? Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they were no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Mark chapter 9. He felt so overwhelmed that he did not want to come down again. Yet not long afterwards, when Jesus was arrested and on his way to the cross... Peter denied that he ever knew him. Could you do that? 
when we don't follow God's plan, when we allow those difficult circumstances in our life to dictate who we are, what we do, and instead allowing God to work through those, through those difficulties with us, are we not telling God we don't trust you? We don't trust in your plan? He felt overwhelmed that he didn't want to come down from that mountain. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the, by, to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. I do not know him. And again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man. I do not know him. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This is a warning for us as well. This is a warning of God saying, don't deny me. Do not deny me. Do not deny my opportunity to work through you. Do not deny my opportunity to show you that I am for you. Do not deny me my opportunity to work through you. Not just for your good, not just for God's good, but for those around you who desperately need to see that God is for them too. God is for them too. The simple truth is when navigating through life, we too sense God's presence. That was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? As if to say, I don't believe you. But that was not God's purpose here. Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The Lord God loves us. But it's not just a tell me you love me. God is saying, show me. Show me. 
take an active part in this relationship that we have with one another. Show others around you there's something different about you. And when they ask why, you can say, God loves me. And God loves you. Let me tell you how. Let me show you how. Come on. Point of truth. God gently restores us when we fail to remember his presence. Let me repeat that again. God gently restores us when we fail to remember his presence. In one word, we learn from Peter, it is this, restoration. We understand that no matter where we've come from, where we're going, God loves us. God will restore us. Isn't that great news? To understand that when we go through these things in life and it knocks us down, God is right there to pick us back up. God is there to take us through those trials, not just for our benefit, not just for his benefit, but for the benefit of those who are desperately seeking God. Secondly, this morning, we have to realize this truth. We are not home. We are not home. Peter again writes in verse 1, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You see, there are three words I I want you to kind of pay attention to here in verse 1. The word exiles... Maybe strangers or aliens if you look at different translations. So, persons who belong to some other land and people who are temporarily residing with a people to whom they do not belong. We do not belong here. We are aliens in a strange land here. We are. And those of you who have been a active Christian for most of your life, you know you feel like that alien. Especially navigating through the current situation we are in now. Not even just the world. Not even just California. Right here in Winton, Atwater, Merced, wherever we reside, it is a challenge every single day. And it is not the norm to stand up and say, I love Jesus Christ. But that's our challenge. That's the cross that we bear. To be able to go out into the world and boldly say, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves me. You. The first century Christ followers were under intense persecution and um, in the area of Rome. They were being blamed by the evil Roman emperor Nero for the burning of Rome. Many Christians had not only their property and livelihoods taken from them, but many also lost their lives. And it was a 
extremely difficult time to be a Christian. And there may have been some among Peter's readers who even felt like giving up or giving in. Are you one of those here today? Where you feel like it would just be easier to give up or give in or to show up to church, sit in a pew and not get involved? Yeah, I know that's the pastor me encouraging you. But are we willing to just sit to get fed and look like me? Or are we going to go out and do what the Lord has called us to do? And not just say we love Jesus, but we're going to show that we love Jesus. And it starts here. It starts here. We come here. We get fed. We're encouraged. We allow God to come in and take hold of what we call ministry so that he can equip us to go and do the things that he has called us to do. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Is it going to be rewarding? You betcha. Will you see the result right away? Most likely not. But we are called to do it anyway. And we do it with a cheerful heart. And we do it with the understanding that God is right by our side. We don't have to hit that on-star button. God already knows. God is already there. He's already handling the situation. He already knows what needs to be done. You see, the word home is a powerful word. It means so much more than a house or an apartment where you live. It's a place near and dear to your heart. I consider this church my home away from home. I consider you my family. Home is a very powerful thing. Have you ever lived somewhere or visited somewhere and you seemed out of place? In your heart you felt a longing and a tugging to return home? We call that homesickness. As you grow closer to Jesus through your relationship with him, the more out of place you will feel in this world. The more out of place the world will try to make you feel. But they're not wrong. We should feel uncomfortable where we sit. We should feel uncomfortable being a part of this world. That's the Holy Spirit getting in there and churning things up and letting you know there are things to be done. We need to prepare. We need to navigate our way through this place. So that day when we stand before the Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it will be because we recognize that this was not our home. We recognize that God is with us. We recognize that God loves those around us, even when they're unlovable. God should be preparing all of Christian hearts in the same way and fashion. We should not be comfortable sitting where we're at. 
We should not be comfortable in the things that this world provides. We should be finding ourselves being homesick for heaven. And the pleasures and allures of this world become less and less appetizing. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 11. Some people who claim to follow Jesus love this world, and they don't really look forward to the next chapter in their lives or their next world. That's a pretty good sign about the condition of their heart. And if you find yourself in that position, don't be scared, don't be weary. Because God is a God who restores. God is a God who loves. In spite of our iniquities, in spite of our sin, God loves us. The Apostle Paul had a faithful companion named Demas, and he was like a right-hand man to Paul in his ministry. But as Paul was suffering in prison, he made this terrible statement about him. He says, Demas has deserted me, having loved this present world. We are aliens because we believe there is another world. And we don't feel at home in this world. We know deep down that our hearts, that this isn't all there is. And that is only revealed through the Holy Spirit which encapsulates our hearts. When we know his presence is there. When we know that all of this is for a grander scheme of things and that is to go forth and preach the gospel to others. That's job one. I love when we have a baptism service, and especially when it's a young individual. But as I tell them in our, in our talk before that time, this is just the beginning. This is not a finale of a decision that you made. This is the beginning. And not only is it a beginning for them, it's a beginning for us as a congregation of believers. Because we're accountable to that person. Those of you who heard last week for the baptism, you are accountable to Lexi. And we should take that responsibility very seriously. Because too often we see young people who come through here make a decision, go through the classes, do all these things, and then we just say, Good luck. You got this. But that's what God is telling us not to do. We don't give up. 
God's can provide us many opportunities to minister to Lexi and those who have gone forth through baptism. He is going to give us an opportunity to let him shine. Again, not for our benefit. Do we feel good about it? Yeah, we should. But think how good it feels when God sees us doing all these things according to his plan. One of the greatest minds of the 20th century was C.S. Lewis. And he wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. People often laughed at us because we believe in heaven, saying, all you Christians care about is heaven. You aren't living in the now. But God is saying, yes, we are. We need to live in the now. But the world will tell you the now consists of these things. God is saying the, the now consists of these things. It's a constant battle. And if it tugs at your heart, then the Holy Spirit's doing its job. This should not be a comfortable thing for us. It should be difficult. When Christ was here on earth, he went through many difficulties. And the reason he did that was to show us how to go through those difficulties. But we have him on our side. He's fighting along with us. Because our Lord God never ever breaks his promise. Ever. We run into people on a daily that lie to us. Break their promises. But the Lord never does that. Ever. All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, is a symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. Because that's a question that comes up a lot. What is heaven going to look like? What's it going to be like? What am I going to look like? I hope not this. What is heaven going to look like? What am I going to look like? What am I going to do in heaven? What's my job? What's my responsibility? And see, we use things that we can quantitate and qualify. But the reality is we don't know. Theologians don't want to admit it, but we don't know. We just know it's going to be great. Even if it is a white blanket over things and God is there standing with us, that should be enough. We know that through Christianity... Heaven is just a fringe benefit. We don't do it to get to heaven. We don't do it to get the rewards. We do it so we can give the rewards right back where they belong. This world is not our home. This world is not our home. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ 
told us to be like doves. He meant that we were just going to fly away and lay eggs. If you're going to take it literally, we're going to fly away and lay eggs, right? But Peter reminds us not to become too attached to this life. The second word in this verse on dispersion. And other translations have the word scattered. Dispersion was historically applied to the Jewish nation when it was set apart and scattered into foreign nations by the Babylonian and Assyrian captivities. Now, here, Peter applies the same word to the Christian community, saying that they were scattered and dispersed by the hand of God. When Peter wrote this, there were about one million Jews who lived in Palestine, and two to four million lived outside of it. God scattered the believers to fulfill the commission of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 so that they were able to be salt and light wherever they went. It is no coincidence that each and every one of us are sitting here this morning. God has called each and every one of us to be salt and light. Allowing God to work through us for his benefit, for his kingdom. The third and last term in verse 1 is elect. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's not all a bed of roses. We suffer for his sake. And he goes so far as to say we should be delighted to suffer for his sake. The Bible speaks a lot about election and God's choice of his people. In the Greek text, the word chosen comes right after Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is placed at the start for sake of emphasis. Peter wants us to know from the outset that our relationship with God does not depend on our weak grasp on him, but rather on God's sure grip on us. We have nothing to do with this. We talked about in Romans 8, this has nothing to do with what we do. This is all God's doing. Our salvation is not our doing. It is God's doing. We can submit to God during times of trial because he is in control of saving and keeping his own. This comforting theme of God's control runs throughout Peter's letter here. And in a universe governed by God, there are no chance events. Indeed, there is no such thing as chance. Chance does not exist. It is merely a word we use to describe mathematical possibilities. But chance itself has no power because it has no being. Chance is not an entity that can influence reality. Chance is not a thing. It is nothing. Instead, our world is run by providence, a God who cares for us and leaves nothing to chance. He leaves nothing to chance. 
The word providence refers to God's provision for his people. We use the word provisions to refer to things we acquire for future needs. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things that I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike ride. And I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was he suggested we change places. But life has not been the same since. Someone here might be upset to hear that God chooses people. We don't like not to be chosen. There were many times as an individual in elementary school, I was last to be chosen for some things. First in others, but last in some things. And it didn't feel good. It was like, oh, you're the last person. Well, you're over there. God chooses people. He chooses individuals, not for the sake of their own merit, not for the sake of glorifying someone. He does it to glorify himself. He puts people in places because they're part of the well-oiled machine that is Christianity, that is loving Christ. And when one of those parts doesn't work, the whole thing doesn't work. So you can sit here all day long and say, well, as long as my relationship to Christ is good, all things are good. No, that is the building block for you to get out there and get all the parts working. So in other words, we can't just sit here and say, well, I'm good. I know the Bible. I know my relationship to God and... I read the Bible, I pray, and I have a good circle of friends, and we can talk about God, and we can do this and that. No, God is saying there's so much more. The world tells us live in the now. They're not wrong. We need to live in the now. But God's got another way to do it. And we've got to be willing to not walk through those opportunities. We need to run to those opportunities. So like I said, some of you might be upset to hear that God chooses people. We don't like that kind of talk. Listen to the great Charles Spurgeon. But there are some who say it is hard for God to choose some and leave others. Now I will ask you one question. Is there any of you here this morning who wishes to be holy? Is there any of you who wishes to be regenerate, to leave off sin and walk in holiness? Yes, there is, says one. I do. Then God has elected you. If you're saying yes, then God has chosen you. 
But another might say, no, I don't want to be holy. I don't want to give up my lusts and my vices. Then why should you grumble? Then that God has not elected you to it. Why hasn't God chosen me? Because you've made your choice. But God also says that I will restore you. I will allow you to come back. I will allow you to be part of my chosen people. Because I love you. And through me, the purposes will be done. Thirdly, we need to remember that we're just a passenger. Volkswagen began selling cars in the 1997 tagline, On the road of life, there are passengers and there are drivers. And as the ad closed, people at home would see the words, Drivers Wanted. Peter labors to tell us that in the road of life, that there are passengers and there are drivers. Passengers wanted. Passengers wanted. In reverse of current thinking, Peter tells us that God is driving the believer's life. Peter assumed that his readers accepted the Trinity. He doesn't stop to explain it or defend it. Peter just states that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that we may obey Jesus Christ. God is one God who exists in three co-equal eternal persons, the same in substance, but distinct in subsistence. In other words, each person of the Godhead has a role in our salvation. It has a role. We can have hope because our salvation depends on this great triune of God. And finally, you should know that your route is mapped by God the Father. He's got it mapped out already for you. Verse 1 and 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he has foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. In the sanctification of the Spirit. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Do you believe in the truth this morning? Are you sanctified? Are you being set apart for God's work? Because know this, if we are, your road ends in blessing. Your road ends in blessing. You may have been asking yourself, when were we discussing obedience? But I am a Christian and not always obedient. What happens when I'm not obedient. Do I lose my salvation? Do I am I not considered saved? You see God is making his covenant with his people. He has promised to be faithful, and in the Old Testament he taught the Jews sin could be forgiven 
through a blood sacrifice. He was teaching them a life had to be sacrificed to make atonement for that sin. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest killed an animal and sprinkled the blood on the Ark of the Covenant kept in the Holy of Holies. And at first, the Holy of Holies was a room in a portable tent called the Tabernacle. And then later, it was located in the temple in Jerusalem. But see, through that, obedience is a part of our new life. So what about the times when we're disobedient? Take refuge in knowing that God is committed to forgiveness. God is committed to forgiveness. And know this, God's power directs your road safely to him. You just have to choose it. You have to understand that no matter where you stand in life, whatever road you're on, God can restore it. God can bring you back. Now, I told you the story about the USS Astoria and Elgin Staples who was injured but was eventually saved. I didn't tell you the whole story. See, on board the transport, Staples, hugging that life belt with gratitude, looked at that small piece of equipment for the first time, and he scrutinized every stitch of that life belt that served him so well. It had been manufactured by Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and bore a registration number. Given home leave, Staples told his story and asked his mother, who worked for Firestone, about the purpose of the number that he found on that belt. She replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility for the war effort and that the number was unique and assigned to only one inspector. Staples remembered everything about that life belt. And he even quoted the number. And there was a moment of stunned silence in the room. And then his mother spoke. That was my personal code that I affixed to every item I was responsible for approving. Now, I can only imagine the emotions within the hearts of mother and son as they, they pondered the convergence of responsibility and the impacts of life. The providence of God is our refuge and our fortress. It is our shield. And it provides us with courage and staying power so that we too can be used to further God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. David's going to come and lead us in our benediction. And if you're sitting here today, and you don't know what that providence of power that God has. And you don't understand what it is to have a relationship to Christ. I pray that today is the day you find all about it. We have people here who want to talk to you about it. We have people here that want to walk you through it. And not only walk you through it, but help you to run to those opportunities when God has called us to do so. Amen? I pray that some of you here today, Dave.
Russ, would you please put in Jesus Messiah? Please. He became sin who knew no sin. Amen. We can dwell on that for ages. Why? Why? Because he loves us. Yes. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and carried the cross. Love so Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time here this morning. And as we leave here, Lord, I pray that you present those opportunities to us, that we run to them, Lord, that we do it with a willing heart, knowing the sacrifice that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for your son, what he's done for us, and providing us an opportunity to fulfill your plan, Lord. 
Thank you so much for your provision. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we love you. And we know that you love us. And let that love shine through us so others can see that there is something different about us. That there is something that allures them. Lord, it's not what we are and who we are, but it's who you are and who you are through us. Thank you, Lord, for those opportunities in advance. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.